0: Index investing or passive investing has grown more popular with investors. Even Warren Buffett has the benefits of owning an entire index like the S&P 500 over the long term. An example of an index tracking ETF is BMO's S&P 500 Index ETF. It's the largest ETF in Canada that tracks this well-recognized and popular index. It provides exposure to the returns of the market cap weighted S&P 500 Index at a low cost, the management fee of just 0.08%. This broad market ETF makes for an efficient building block in a portfolio, saving you time and effort while mitigating single stock risk. If you're looking for exposure to the largest and most liquid public companies in the United States, this ETF delivers an easy to use solution and instant diversification. Commissions and management fees and expenses all may be associated with investments in exchange traded funds, Please read the ETF facts or prospectus of the BMO ETFs before investing. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty
1: secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back
2: or have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin.
0: Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 125. As always, joined by the three amigos, Keith Dicker, Cap Asset Management, Rich Diaz. Back in the office, PGM back Global. In the office.
1: PGM, PGM Global. Global, back in the office. We had a client meeting today, so that was exciting. Uh, so I had to do it. I couldn't work from home, sadly, in my uh, my underwear and my hoodie. <laughs> I had to put on some big boy pants and head to the office. But no, it's a good, beautiful day outside. Um, no, Happy to be here and happy to get going, boys. There's lots of stuff to talk about. Rich, do you ever have like bring your mom to work day? I mean, now that she's, she's, she listens every week and now she will ask me. So (laughs) thank you, Keith. (laughs) Um, Hi, Mrs.
0: D Yeah, (laughs) bring bring her on our camping trip too.
1: She will. Oh, she's, she's an amazing camper. My mother grew up extremely poor um and the great thing about poor people is they're brilliant campers <laughs> is what i've learned she's amazing she's like so she's old she's Oh, she's not gonna like me saying that but she's uh she's 73 she's an absolutely brilliant brilliant camper um so she can come up anytime and you guys What's are our- welcome too that's it no nope. yeah, i'm Steve. not extending the
0: invite though we're working on this camping trip rich has got a big acreage what is that a farm
1: no no it's it's woods it's woods it's where i'm gonna yeah I'm it's like bit, on a lake no yeah it's on a lake it's beautiful it's up in northern Quebec. Um, yeah, it's on a lake. We'll send
0: some pics. Looney hour live event at the lake. That's right. And it's got great internet. It's got great internet
1: because, I don't know, some envelopes were exchanged, I think. But,
0: (laughs) oh, I thought you maybe were doing like Starlink or something. No, no, I don't need to. I don't need to. (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll, anyways, Keith. Hey, Hey
2: guys, today, what's the date today? It's 29th leap year it's february every, this is thursday everyone you know we recorded on thursday it's february 29th it's a leap a leap year so you know what you know what the great thing is about leap year jokes Oh, no oh god they happen every 4 years oh. okay. okay okay big hit have- big
0: hit in the ice cap household there eh? <laughs>
2: celebration tonight oh boy
0: you know- okay let's get
2: going big week with stuff happening yeah we've got um
0: Housing flipping taxes, Canada's GDP numbers came in, uh, we got Canadian bank earnings, more US inflation data, Bitcoin, we got like just a whole host of stuff to get through this week. So uh, we'll see it up here just quickly on the housing front. Obviously, I'm located in BC. Um, so the we bring up like BC housing policy, because I do think it's important from like a larger, bigger picture macro in terms of like where Canadian politics are at. I tend to find that whatever BC does, whether it's the empty homes tax or a uh, foreign buyer tax, it seems like Ontario is always following suit. They basically just copy our housing policies. So we brought in a, um, bringing in a two-year flipping tax. Uh, So if you buy and sell your house starting in January, 2025, they're going to charge you 20% of your profits. Keith 20% no more flipping for you buddy.
2: even on your primary residence even on your primary res
0: so it's uh you keep in mind like if you're fl- if you're flipping real estate like you're already paying CRA right like you're already paying capital gains or if you have a history of flipping it's actually active business income so BC government's going to take their pound of flesh as well
1: But wait, wait, if you, so primary residence, you said, and it's on your profits, does that include like what you put into the house? Like if you get a job in Vancouver and then you renovate your house, um, and it's your primary residence and then, I don't know, God forbid your mother gets sick and you have to go and live with her or in the same town or whatever, and you sell that house, they tax you on that profit? No,
0: so there is, there is like exemptions. There's, uh. They have okay. specific exemptions for, like, divorce, uh, death, and I think job relocation is one of them. So, yeah. I mean, the stats in DC right now are, or sorry, Metro Vancouver is uh, home flips, you know, a home that's basically bought and resold within a two-year period. It makes up 4% of total transactions. Is that a lot? I I mean, I don't, if you look at it historically, it's,
2: like, the lowest it's been in, like, 20 years. Um. So, So, no. how much tax revenue were they... A- supposedly collect from I, this.
0: I can't, I can't remember the number is like really insignificant, but basically what they're what the argument being made um, on the other side of it is that while there might be a small profit margin for the BC government, they're actually going to end up losing out on the property transfer tax. Because you think of, like homes that are being bought and flipped, right? Or, or, or resold for various reasons. Each time that property goes on the market and someone buys it there's a transfer tax that's payable it's a okay. it's a big transfer tax right so so like net net it's, it's going to be probably at best uh revenue neutral oh they're cannibalizing a different tax is what you're trying they're to say. cannibalizing a different tax yeah but why wouldn't mean... you
2: have the transfer tax as well why is that eliminated well no because what, what you're the saying law? is like what they're doing
0: what they're arguing is is basically okay let's say keith you know you bought a house you see it goes up a couple hundred thousand bucks and you're like hey you know what i'm going to cash this thing out i'm going to go rent i'm going to take my profit and i'm going to try to get back in the market at a different time well if you got to all of a sudden pay a 20 percent tax on your profits to the bc government you're like you know what i'm not going to list this property for sale i'll just i'll just stay in it you know this this isn't going to come to market so you just stay where you are so that transaction just never happens it doesn't exist and so that's there's no transfer tax
1: right the volume in theory will fall in commensurate with the people who otherwise would have been flipping
0: yeah exactly so anyways i I think i just
1: like to point out to people who are from the government who might listen to this podcast not every problem can be solved with a tax i i just
0: think that that needs to be reiterated perhaps once or twice um i mean i think it's it's kind of like the convenient scapegoat where it's like you know, we have our housing's been going up for twenty years on you know, for a lot of reasons, right? Cheap credit, foreign money, under under supply of home of new homes being built, zoning population growth. I mean, you you lump it all in. I mean home flipping is just a small symptom of of prices going up. So anyways, that's my that's my thoughts. That's what's happening. We'll see. I think it you know probably comes to Ontario in the near future. And uh oh ironically Rich, you like this, um, in terms of the impacts when we talk about supply and everything. So this is like this is my, this is basically my takeaway. So we're gonna see how the legislation comes into play for January first, but it's supposed to be a retroactive tax. Okay, so what that means is like if you bought a home in this year, you know February twenty ninth on leap year. And you flip it next February, you are going to get taxed, but not on the 29th, (laughs) not on the 29th, not on the 29th. Yeah. But you will be taxed. Uh, now, so for example, if you wind this back further, let's just say you bought a pre-sale condo development in Vancouver. So you bought it, you know, when you buy a pre-sale, they usually pre-sale three to four years out. So you bought a pre-sale, let's say three years ago, it completes in 2025. You're like, well, Hey, you know, it's been four years. I've tied my money up. I want to exit. I'm out. Well, if you want to flip that product, you again, you're going to pay your 20% tax on your profit plus CRA, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is, is that on the development community in BC and Ontario is they rely on presale investors to, to fund the construction of new development. So if you are a developer, you typically have to pre-sell about 60-65% of the units before BMO or RBC or TD will give you money to put a shovel in the ground. So you're relying on investors to fund projects. So if you're saying to the investors, "Hey, we really need you, but by the way, when you want your liquidity and and to exit, we're going to like we're going to take our pound of flesh." And so Again, the argument on the other side is, well, this will just go to end users and that's what should happen. And it's like, well, there's a reason why end users don't buy pre-sale developments because they don't want to wait three and a half years to move in.
1: And they don't have the liquidity and they don't want to take the risk. And there's a hundred other
0: reasons why you wouldn't well, buy Well, the it government pre-sale. goes, well, you know, pre-sales, it's, you know, it's people speculating. It's like, it's a futures contract.
1: I mean, it is speculation, but speculation isn't necessarily bad. But it's a futures I
2: mean- contract. You're buying but you need but you need like for every market, you know, you there's there's two kinds of investors there's a speculator and a hedger, right? That that's it. And sometimes the hedger is selling to the speculator, or the speculator is selling to the hedger. That, that's how commodity markets work. And you know, a house right. is a is a commodity, of course. You know, it's like futures market one oh one, rich is in chapter one. If you ever do it, you'll see it there. So Anyways, like this, it is
0: keith it's a future i mean you're buying you're literally just buying a contract a piece of paper that says i will you pay the you know you give your deposit today we'll deliver you this product in four years yeah, you're, so you're the specu-
2: but you're the speculator and the builder is the hedger right 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 because he's yeah. now hedged his cost because he already has money coming in to, to exactly. do it
0: anyway so yeah we'll see uh anyways it's uh classic canada fixing everything with a new tax but uh so Let's this will over. play
2: into our conversation later today. With with I want to talk about private credit. You know what's happening yeah, with that. For sure, and you know you strip liquidity out of any market, and hey, they, they, you know you don't need liquidity when everything is fine. But the moment you need it, and it's it's gone. Right there, she is yeah. gone. It's, it's so a horrible had, feeling. Um...
0: So speaking of our our country and how it's running, uh, we had Canada's GDP numbers came out. Uh, So for Q4, we had a 1% annualized growth in the quarter, you know, on the headline. Well, it's not that bad. That sounds great. Sounds great. You kind of, you know, you dig under the surface a little bit. Uh, It turns out that this was our sixth, sixth consecutive uh, real GDP decline. So quarterly, you you mean? yeah, six consecutive quarters we've had uh, a decline in real GDP per capita, which we talked about this. I think in the live event in Toronto, however yeah. many months ago, I think we were only on our fourth at the time, but we're, we've we've got it up to six. So the streak is still alive. Streak is alive, baby. This is
2: good. Streaks are good, right? This is we're hot. <laughs> Not this one, Rich. This is <laughs> this is going in the wrong direction.
0: Oh how are you playing this out so keith i'm just you know you're rich i know we've been talking about this for several episodes now which is like you kind of continue to see this relatively strong us data that's coming in we'll we'll get to that in a sec as well and then you look at canada you're like man it's just this is like an economy on life support
2: well it, you know it is being uh, you know masked with or dampened I guess with with the population growth so on an aggregate level uh, aggregate level you know the numbers look okay but when you do break it on a per capita basis you know it, it's pretty weak and it goes back to the whole concept of talking about about debt you know right now in Canada and elsewhere it's taking increasingly more debt to produce the exact same dollar of economic output or put another way, with a population growth perspective, it's now taking more people to produce the exact same unit of economic output. And you know, maybe maybe the strategy is to keep keep population growth uh, growing. You know, can't be the same as last year, because even if we're the same as last year, all else being equal, the economy will roll over. You need now bring in more people than last year, like more people have to spend and. I think Rich will go down through some of the GDP numbers, but one of the big ones, I think, you know, energy was the, I think the biggest contributor to it and no, yeah. Rich is, yeah, no, I'm just laughing. Oh, yeah. I'm laughing. Cause
0: energy is bad, right? <laughs> energy is very, very bad, bad well, keep, energy. Keep in mind though. We've got, remember, like we're talking about population growth kind of, you know, making the numbers look better than, than what they are. Um, don't forget that we've got this uh, 2024, the international student cap, which is, you know, the government trying to fix their errors. And um, so we're going to see some some significant caps on international student growth, uh, particularly in Ontario and BC, where, you know, all else being equal, you should, be, you should see about a 60% decline in uh, annual change in study permits in those two provinces under the new rules that have been uh, and how many what right what now. is the how
2: many people will that be?
0: Honestly, I don't have that stat in front of me, but um
2: What's the number, Rich? You're the numbers guy. Come on. Here, what? Wait,
0: I, dude, I do, I do not, not have this number. <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of people. So I you know, um see how that plays out. Well, just so back on
1: the GDP thing, I think it's important to just uh, remember to to remind everybody that GDP is made up of different things depending on how you calculate it. So um, a lot of the data you'll see comes at the expenditure approach and the expenditure approach is government spending, investment or CAPEX, household spending, um, and then you've got net exports and then you've got an inventory component. And I think that it's important to reiterate. So um, the housing, sorry, household consumption, So um, was also down Um, and then there was a big, so that like, sorry, it went up again, sorry on the quarter, but was down. And now it's the fifth out of the last six quarters is down per capita. So each of us is consuming a little bit less, right? Um, There was a big drag from something called ownership transfer costs. And that's, I think a legacy issue from what we saw, the speculative fervor we saw in 2022, uh, um, and one and and a little bit in 2023 um, new construction actually went up very, very slightly. And you, um and, but again, business, I'm reading it right now, business, business investment declines, you had lower inventories, um, slowing inventory growth compared to the third quarter. Um, and so, and then it said the compensation of employees. So that includes wages and other types of benefits r- rose at its slowest pace since the second quarter of 2020. I mean it's just it's really sort of more of what we've been talking about more of the same Um, maybe we'll we'll talk a little bit about the cfib small business survey which actually was in positive remember this is backward looking data so this was q um four of 2020 2023 so we'll see what's going on for looking going forward but it's an indictment on our productivity growth and this is the most important thing i said it's the only thing i've repeated that many many times on on the uh, productivity growth is what matters. It's what each individual is doing, and then that you know we're the sum of our parts, or hopefully more than the sum of our parts. But if that pro- if that per capita number doesn't arrest its decline, um, it's just it's, it's really an indictment on our economy, the policies that are are um, that are initiated and and insisted upon, as well as the weight of that housing and debt burden that we have that we're gonna deal with. So,
2: hey good, Rich, yeah, so actually you know. Uh, sorry, I interrupted, is, you, Keith. Go ahead. Yeah, is this is this happening in other countries as well? The, you know population growth and productivity declining, and you know the debt growth and all that. No, and I mean in the U.S., product uh, GDP per
1: capita is ripping. Um, and we'll share that chart. Um, oh. and you can see from 1992 to 2016. Basically, our productivity—sorry, our GDP per capita—moved lockstep with the United States. Now it was slightly higher, but at least the growth was almost perfectly aligned. And you'll see the chart. We'll share it. Yes. Um, and then 2016, it decoupled, and the U.S. has carried on, and we've been flat for six or seven years.
0: We have uh, actually RBC put out a report a couple of days ago, so they've been uh, tuning in luniar as well, and they, uh, yeah, they put out some data on productivity growth. So slow productivity growth in Canada. Uh, the level of output per hour worked in Canada um, was below average levels four years earlier in 2019, Um, and so Canada ranks fifth amongst G7 economies for productivity growth over that period. So, if you look at the chart, um, you know G7 productivity growth uh, since pre-pandemic. So, the U.S. is great, you know, six percent growth, and then you've got Canada uh, outright contracting. France is actually the worst, Rich. Yeah, I thought so. Or Italy <laughs> and, and and Germany, Germany. Uh, well, Germany
1: is that's just like a ritual suicide based on the environmental <laughs> stupidness that they insist on doing. Remember, they shut down six perfectly good nuclear power plants, and the knock-on effects are clear. Um, but yeah, Steve, the, the productivity growth thing piece is really bad. We've talked about research and development spending. There's the lag from too much speculation on housing. There's the refusal to invest. In a highly technical industry, which is the energy sector, why would you try to invest in the energy sector when your government tells you that you're, um, you know, the spawn of the evil if you do so? Um, and you know, it's, 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 and of course the, the federal, the number of federal employees, which continues to weigh on crowd out other investments. Um, there's, there's loads of reasons to be sort of disappointed, um, I think well, we'll see more of the same.
0: Speaking of housing speculation, uh, we had <laughs> some Canadian Bank earnings out this week as well, which I think is uh, always important. Keith, you've been following this like a like a dog on a bone, uh, so maybe I'll let you kind of take it away. But obviously, we had uh, we can get into some of the numbers, of course, but uh, the big story here between you know Royal, BMO, Scotia is really just the the significant jump, the increase in loan loss provisions. Um, so clearly, the banks are kind of setting up for something.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we like to talk about the loony hours ahead of the game sometimes. I think loony hours is actually sourced in the RBC article or research <laughs> note that you were just referencing. No, no it's not, is it? <laughs> Unconfirmed. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, you know, again, just to reset us, so everyone is, if you're familiar with it or not, you know, banks report earnings every quarter and, banks are perhaps one of the they're the best positioned in the investment world to be able to soften their numbers by softening their earnings numbers so they can take different provisioning for this and that they can release provisioning to make their earnings look a lot better which you know, the uh, the Blue Shirt Bank did a, a couple of years ago, but we're watching this uh, pretty intently right now because it, it is our view that the way the economic cycle works, if you believe in cycles, if not, it means you're a communist, you just get a <laughs> flatline economy. I don't think that's where we are. But, you know, aside for the commies out there, um, you know, we do move in cycles, And what we want to see is which direction are we going? And, you know, by definition, the next move for the Canadian economy is a recession, because we just had growth, expansion, now expansion is slowing. so by default, we have to hit a recession, it's coming up. What we want to look at with the bank's earnings is how much are they provisioning for bad loans? Because if you're a bank, you're a delivered entity, say you're lending out 10 to 1 times, basically. If the economy is slowing, slowing, it means that there are job losses. So some people won't be able to pay back their loans or their mortgage, where they have to sell their property, maybe get a, a new flipping tax, like Steve mentioned earlier. <laughs> but you know, there, there's less money coming into the economy, and the banks see that. They have their, you know, their thumb on the pulse better than than anyone else. And what's happening now, every quarter, the amount of money that banks are setting aside for loan loss provisions or provision for credit losses, um, it's increasing every single quarter. It's not just one bank, all five are, are increasing it. Uh so that and plus then you overlay on top of that, you know, banks have announced layoffs, they're doing you know, this thing they call attrition and all that. So the banks are slowly moving towards or preparing. For some kind of a, a slowdown here in Canada. And we are starting to see that, I mean, they have access to the same data that, that everyone else does, but they have better timing with it. Uh, but they know, hey, something could potentially roll over here. And that's why they continue to increase their provisioning. And then, so, you know, all five, uh, sorry, six banks in Canada came out with the earnings over the last three days, and every single one increased the provisioning. Think, and, uh... and the good articles, you know, that's mentioned in maybe the second third fourth paragraph because they're able to masquerade it you know by talking about i think scotia
0: actually lowered theirs um they were down 23 percent, but it's still really hot so the provisioning for uh loan losses is 962 million dollars um compared to say rbc which is rbc raised but rbc is still only at 813 so yeah, so you can't
2: compare the level for one bank to another. Totally, all, all of these numbers were all higher than what analysts were expecting. Yeah. and again, they're going because remember Scotia Bank—they had the big number a while ago. So I think they switched CEOs, so the new CEO just poured everything into the first number, sort of washed things out. Uh, but this is something we got—we got to keep our eye on here because if we—if we are going into a recession. Ah, uh, it's going to create job losses, and job losses means there's less aggregate income going through the economy, which you know some folks won't be able to pay their uh, you know their their loan back. Yeah, and that's, few, that's if, what the banks are worried about.
0: Yeah, Keith, a few more interesting sort of tidbits. You know, I look at like BMO, for example. So loan write-offs, uh, they're up two hundred percent year over year, the highest in nine quarters. Uh, but the, the other story that we've been kind of following is the negative amortization picture, right? All these mortgages that, you know, the, the Canadians that got trapped on these variable rate mortgages and, and, you know, where their, their, their mortgage payment uh, isn't even covering, you know, not only is it not covering any principal pay down, but it's actually not covering all of the interest. And so you have a situation where the loan balance Uh, In in some cases, it's actually growing at certain lenders. And the amortization, of course, is is ballooning from 30 years to, you know, we've seen 50, 60, 70 year uh, amortizations. And so, um, for example, BMO uh, negative amortization is 15% of the mortgage portfolio and uh amort- so amortization So what does that, that are- mean
1: can you explain that What just that what that means amortization sorry
0: uh it's basically like the the the, the, lo- the loan balance is growing
1: okay so then and so sorry just to be clear so it means that you- when you're paying your mortgage you're actually not
0: paying any principal it's you're not paying any the- principal no okay sorry keep going sorry. so even at- and we'll get into this but even at like rbc so the and now amortizations that are longer than 35 years at bmo is 22.8 so 23 percent of the mortgage portfolio so like, again contractually you're only you so steve only...
2: 23 sorry 23 percent of rbc's mortgage portfolio BMO. is or bmo is the amortization period is greater than say thirty.
0: so remember you're only allowed your OS fee you can own there's 30 year mortgages that's the longest contractual period so if it tells me if you've got you know Twenty-three percent of your book is is greater than thirty-five years. It tells me that you have people um, that are trapped on variable rate mortgages, where they're not paying down principal, and thus their amortization schedule is growing.
1: So, so is this basically just? And forgive the language, because I know default is a technical word with like actual legal ramifications. So, but you'll bear with me. This is a Effectively, these people are defaulting on their loans, but the banks want to sort of keep them going. If that, if that makes because the banks would, don't yeah, banks don't I mean, want would... houses on their book, right? Banks don't want houses on
0: their book. So can you? I yeah, for sure. I would. I mean, I would call it more like an extend and pretend. I think that okay.
2: Here's the reality: well, you you like... want the, the banks don't want a house on their books, but they right. want their loan on on their books. So you know, back when you know, you had all the zombie banks in Europe back you know fifteen right. years ago. They had all this debt that they were never gonna get paid back, and you know, again, for everyone, we're not suggesting Kenya Bank for zombie banks right now. We're just setting the stage for what it's looking like. You know, it it could go in in that direction. Just to be clear about it, but yeah, you're right, Rich. So if some are 35 years or a bit longer, does that mean you know some poor guy might be out there at 40, 45 yeah.
0: years? Oh yeah, those I've seen. I've seen 60, 65. Yeah.
1: So, if you're not so, paying for your cap, you're not paying
0: down capital, you're effectively like an indentured, well, yeah. indentured I mean, worker basically or surf. I mean, yeah, basically. I mean, so you look, like, okay, I'll give you another example. So, if you look at RBC, so the way that RBC has their variable product is they don't allow you to negative amortize. So, they, what they basically say is like, we'll keep increasing your payment to make sure that you're covering all of your interest. So, we're not going to allow you to like defer interest okay that is owing so we'll just ratchet up your payment we don't care that you don't pay any principal down i think the, i think their rules they have to allocate a dollar or two dollars a month on your mortgage towards principal but basically they're forcing you to pay all of your interest so rbc for example doesn't have any negative amortization mortgages but they do have mortgages that are amortized now greater than 35 years because no principal is being paid down hypothetically, in order for you to pay off this loan, it's going to take you more than the 30 years now. And so 20% of RBC's book has an amortization period greater than 35 years. So yeah, it's coming back full circle. Basically what this means is I would say there's a lot of mortgages that are extended pretend. And some people say, well, isn't this a, a huge catalyst for a market crash, housing bubble? This is the end of all beings. And I said like, The banks are basically just allowing people to push this out. So what's going to happen here is, is, is yes, there's going to be people that are going to basically like when they go to renew, you have to fit the remaining balance in, in the remaining amortization, right? So if you did a, if you had a 30 year mortgage, when you signed on the dotted line and during the five-year term, you paid no principal. Um, you now have a remaining balance that's exactly the same. Yeah. However, you have to fit it into the remaining 25 years that's left on the life of the contractual agreement unless you refinance. So obviously you can imagine, well, if you're now fitting that payment into a 25-year AM and not a 30 you're of course going to have this balloon payment. You're going to have this ballooning uh, monthly mortgage bill especially because the, the mortgage rates not, no longer is at 2%, it's 5%, right? So you have this huge payment shock. Um, now, I think what a lot of people are going to do is they're going to refinance and push it back to 30 years again. However, in order to do that, you technically have to ref- – it's, it's considered a refinance, which means you have to requalify through the mortgage stress test. And so not everybody – a borrower that's on the fringe – that you know maybe hasn't really seen any income growth has a whole bunch of other debt they might not qualify to refinance at which case they're going to be stuck with this balloon payment and yeah they might have to sell or they might end up in some sort of delinquency event
2: and all of this is during an economic environment where which is not a recession right now right? And this keeps going back to my point, I, I say this, you know, n- numerous times, my fear and concern for Canada is that we we do get this national recession. And for the first time in our, our lives, it's it's going to come from Toronto from Bay Street. And I, I always use this expression, it's going to rip the soul right right out of the banks. Because right now it is I mean, they're doing all this, you know, mental gymnastics to try to you know, adjusting mortgages and so forth. And that's without job losses. So if all of a sudden we have job losses coming in as well, again, no one has experienced this before. You know, we were all stuck with this linear thinking. And it really is one of these, you know, it's a great opportunity to always think about risk. You know, what's the probability of this happening? It's not 0%. and It's not 100% either. You know, we, we can get through it somehow. But see, this, this sounds pretty... uh you know, precarious for a lot of people. What What is the mortgage renewal wall like? Is it uh, a big yeah, number this year? Good,
0: yeah, there's some good stats on it. So 2024 is a pretty big year. Uh, it gets larger though. 2025 is, I think is, I think is the largest year. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a good chunk. Like, I mean, we still have about about 50 of mortgages outstanding that haven't seen a payment increase. You know, so whether they're variable or they're on a, well, they wouldn't be on a variable, but if they're on a, it's basically like those fixed mortgages that people locked in three, four years ago, um, you know, that haven't succumbed to the new level of interest rate.
2: So it's kind of similar to the uh, finance department. Hey, Rich, their their loans are rolling over soon too, right? Uh, I can't speak to that. I do have a slightly different
1: angle, though, and more related to more... I'm not to disagree with Keith at all. I just have a slightly different... The thought that came to my mind was how much of a jam the BOC is in and how stupid the letting in three million people over two years or whatever the number is and how that is really screwing over the Bank of Canada and ultimately homeowners. Because... Having inflation go to 40-year high, and remember, vacancy rates everywhere are now super, super low. We've shared that chart on the podcast before, which is going to keep rents high, which is going to keep the shelter component of the CPI basket high, which is going to put a floor under every, uh, under inflation, in my view, and it also make Carolyn Rogers quite reluctant to just start cutting... Interest rates again. Why is she the one cutting? Because she's number two, right? She's (laughs) your favorite central bank. She's my my favorite. (laughs) My point was you have a situation where the Bank of Canada is – remember last – remember I think it was last January where they paused, speculative fever, hit the housing market again. They got burned, and I think it's one of those situations of fool me once – Fool me t- you just can't get fooled again. And um, and and I think that that's what, what's so fascinating right now because you have that massive upswing in inflation and the Bank of Canada can't cut, but the Can- Bank of Canada is desperate to cut because it, it probably knows everything that you know, Steve, which is these amortization rates are going to the moon and these balloon payments are coming. And yet that's not technically its job. Its job not to bail out households, right? Its job is to worry about inflation.
0: Yeah, and just to that point, you know i know like we talk, you look at some of these numbers and i'm not gonna lie like yeah they are scary i think i still think it is a problem that is underneath the surface that maybe hasn't fully transpired yet but if you do look at some banks such as scotia bank which has a true floating rate variable product which means every time the boc raises rates your payment goes up immediately there's no deferring your interest and blowing out your amortization you know the the loan losses or the defaults on in in the Scotia Bank mortgage portfolio is is minuscule, it, it's hardly moved. So and I'm not saying it's not going to go up, but I think it goes to show you like it's it's not all
2: you know necessarily doom and gloom. But, but like, that's because think... there's been no recession. Like the job so, losses yeah. haven't hit right. So yeah. you you just take away that additional spending on your variable rate mortgage from somewhere else.
0: Well, Keith, I'd also add right. to. You, I think you make a good point. I'd also add to that. Like, I think what you see is most consumers that are suddenly faced with a fifteen hundred dollar a month increase in your mortgage payment. What do you do? You just start cutting everywhere else. Like, but you that's don't just that's a balance sheet recession. That's yeah, what you don't we, just. Sorry, keep going. Total. Sorry. you don't just like sell your house immediately. You 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 make do. You find yeah. a way to to scrape and claw, and you you pick up extra shifts. You get an Uber driver license and. And you find a way to pay the mortgage, but again, how sustainable is that? Can you do it for six months, twelve months, eighteen months? Uh, And so, yeah, I would definitely agree with you. Like, it's it's not just to say that it's not a problem is 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 incorrect. I'm just saying it's uh, likely hasn't fully hit the system yet.
1: That that's a balance sheet recession, right? So, just some of us were there at the Toronto event, and hopefully, we'll have another one and you can come and buy me a beer. But it's about um, individuals and companies that are deeply burdened by debt levels and are unable – and in order to either hold on to their assets, as Steve articulated, they basically stop spending on everything else other than either maintaining their debt service costs, um, their debt service payments, and trying to hold on to that asset. The problem is, as Keith articulated, is you, because you're stopping – you're like reducing your spending on everything else – that has consequences, and there are knock-on effects on that. You know, if you stop spending in restaurants, then the restaurants go out of business. Stop spending on travel, et cetera, et cetera. Totally. Um, but the other thing, key, just to point out, and I'll just quickly, just quickly, you know, the employment rate is actually falling. So there's things that there's you know, it's unemployment rate, there's which is the number of people in the labor force looking for a job who can't find one. But then there's employment to population ratios, which is another way of looking at it, and that's actually starting to fall, which means more people came to Canada then we're able to get jobs. And so that's, you know, that those, those are the kind of the little flags that you see before, the telltales before you start to see pickups in and
0: unemployment and, and recession talks. And so anyway. I've been hearing that uh, anecdotally as well, um, just through some clients and things of that nature that run fairly successful businesses. Just hearing from them is like, you know, when there's a job posting now, you're just getting flooded with resumes uh, for, for jobs that, you know, previously a year, two years ago were difficult to fill. Um, People didn't want them, didn't pay enough, whatever. And now all of a sudden you've got a lineup of people. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's, again, just uh, purely anecdotal. So, but I, I do think there's something there. Something has to give at some point.
2: So what is the Bank of – I mean, next week is Bank of Canada week, so we need to do our, our Twinkie bet here uh, at some point. So what are your thoughts at this Bank of Canada? What are they ultimately worried about? What are they not worried about? What are they hoping for? You know, what, How does this play out for them, do you think?
0: You're asking me? You're the expert. No, let's hear it. Let's hear it, Steve. Oh, I I mean, I don't know. I don't think they're going to cut next week. That's my Twinkie bet. Um. Uh...
2: I mean longer term. Longer yeah, I mean next week is sort of a wash with them doing it. they won't do anything next week. But you know, always think about like what keeps them awake at night. You know, is it I think it's just
0: I I have to think it's all these mortgages that are being renewed. Yeah, me too.
2: Again, even if there's mm-hmm. like no immediate
0: defaults here, it's just it's sucking so much money out of the consumer economy, Rich, as you've talked about, right? I mean where are people like, I've, I've heard stories, you know, uh, through mortgage brokers or colleagues in my office that have a client or, you know, you hear some of these stories where like, Oh, buddy took a, you know, I mean, maybe they're higher earning individuals, but you know, buddy had a $7,000 mortgage. He put it on variable and now he's paying 12, 12 grand a month. And it's like, well, you go from seven to 12. I mean, that's not sustainable um you know and then on the lower spectrum right you see people that took out modest mortgages but their their payments gone from 2500 a month to 3500. it's like well a thousand bucks and like you know the reality is rich is that sucks but it, it's not a whole lot better in the rental market it's like if you're no. in a you're in a <laughs> rental property you are paying uh you're paying three grand a month for your two-bedroom condo in Vancouver. All of a sudden your your landlord sells because he can't afford the variable rate mortgage anymore. So he sells, you get the boot, and your new rent payment goes from three grand to the new market rent, which is forty four hundred. Yeah. That, um, that's what's happening in the rental market, too. So it's like I feel like either way, you you can't really avoid um what's happening with housing costs
1: so Keith, to keep, to answer your question i think that the bank of canada is like i said in, in a jam i think that what they worry about is that they can't do what they want to do and what they want to do is i think they want to probably cut interest rates but i think until the shelter i know i know i'm broken record until that shelter and that and that rental component come out come off um, remember, there's other things that are happening too, right? The rest of the world's having sort of a, a rebounding in their manufacturing, export growth going up. Oil prices just hit seventy eight or nine dollars a barrel. Gasoline prices in the United States are going up. That's going to be reflected in our gas prices too. So all these non-core numbers, all these consumer good prices, who knows if they start going up, so Bank of Canada I think they're freaked out by the, these numbers and I think that they can't do what they want to do which is they want to cut they want to give people relief on their housing and their house prices um but inflation's above target and they because of deficits because of population growth because a bunch of other shit and I don't think they can I don't think they're going to cut for
0: a long time I think that's that's hold on, hold on. So when you say I'm just curious cuz we're, we're part of our twinkie bet here Yeah So I said no cuts in next meeting. I'll I'll stay for now, and this maybe is subject to change. Yeah, I could see you know first cut. Maybe it's in June. I don't think they're going to cut this year. Okay, there you go. That's all I needed to know. Boom. That's a that's a big prediction, Keith.
2: Is that kind of like your housing market call there (laughs) a year ago? Remember that you called the bottom? Who me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You you were right. Yeah, you 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 did so far.
0: Yeah, it's. uh, I mean. I still find right now, if people want a quick update, housing is just, it's moving. It's just okay. It's not a great market. Certainly not a bad market. It's just boring. It's just okay. Um, so things are flat. What about I think, sales and you know, inventory?
1: Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean. It, in,
2: inventory is still a huge problem. It's, yeah, yeah, even in our market down here, a house went on the market two days ago. Everyone's talking about it. <laughs> like one house, rich just one. <laughs> that's like that's like it. it. I, the I, best know, I know it's a big
1: call to say no cuts for the year, but hey, it's more fun if you take these kind of extreme positions, maybe a little bit. But I genuinely believe that um,
2: the, they're they're in a jam. And I I genuinely believe that. So maybe so, we'll I mean,
1: cut this year. But
2: the other thing they're worried about, and you know, I'm just listening to conversations, see where it goes, everything here. Um, and it doesn't get a lot of airtime from the, the globe and mail, but they are watching what the Americans are doing very closely because we could have a situation where the Americans are definitely not cutting, and it's even now some some chatter that's actually going to raise rates. I don't think we're gonna see that, but as long as the chatter is that the Americans are not cutting, as, as soon as the Canadians do cut, if, if they do cut, um, you know, it, it's going to weaken the Canadian dollar even more, which is then inflationary by itself. And on top of that, I mean, I it's, it's my view, inflation data is going to stay sticky. I don't know how it's going to come down dramatically unless they actually do, you know, crash things. But, you know, the, the fiscal deficits that are being running around the world, there's still a lot of stimulus out there. It's more fiscal stimulus today than it was a year ago and stuff like yep. that. And that's just to keep the economy treading water. You see what I mean? So I, I can definitely see a situation where, you know, maybe the Bank of Canada, they, they want to cut or they need to cut. But they know the moment they do, you know, that stimulus could be offset from an inflation perspective, you know, what? What comes from the Canadian dollar? They're in a real hard So give us, spot give here. us
0: your prediction, mate. You trying to get out of this?
2: Yeah, yeah I know. I was I bat. was squiggling around the corners, right? My elbows up, and no one touched me. See, uh, oh, there's definitely no move next week. There's definitely no move, and uh, I, I think, I think unless uh, I'm leaning more towards Rich's comment as well that there's no move coming up. No, are you uh, saying
0: no move this year from the BOC?
2: Yeah, I, I lean more towards that as opposed to that they will cut. And you know, and I'm not trying to like dance around the edges. If you, if the economy stays as it is right now, just say it trends around 0% for example, mm-hmm. you know, on, on the monthly data we're looking at, like there's no reason for them to cut. Right? People have people have been but for some reason they now believe in these extreme movements in markets. And the one market where there should never be extreme movements is central bank monetary policy. Right? Yeah. It should just be very slow and, and gradual. Because when you make a move, you really don't, you know, in theory, the economy shouldn't really react to that until what, 18 months later? 12, 24. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, and again, like, I still don't think, well, actually, we've already confirmed this. I mean, you, you were talking about this a few minutes ago, Steve, but the Canadian economy still hasn't felt the full impact from, from 0% to 5%, because mm-hmm. we're still talking about this wall of mortgages that are coming up now in 24 and, and 25. So I, I think this belief that, you know, we are doing that. Oh, I shared a good chart with... Uh, and in the Twitter world yesterday, I think, it was showing interest rate expectations for the Bank of Canada for the for December, two months ago, at the end of 23. So at the end of 2023, the market, and again, it's not what economists were forecasting, it's what the financial market instrument was pricing it, that the Bank of Canada was gonna cut by 150 basis points. So we're gonna go from five down to three and a half. That same number today, is now going from five down to four and a quarter. So interest rate cutting expectations have been chopped in half. So from 150 basis points to 75 basis points in two months. And what's happened in two months? The data in the U.S.
0: has improved. The data in the U.S. has improved. I mean, uh,
2: well, I think I remember,
0: I can't remember like how long ago it was, but like I, I definitely remember Tiff Macklin talking about one of his larger concerns was that like, basically they needed to hike rates quickly and aggressively to get inflation down quickly and aggressively so that they didn't have to leave them like higher for longer, basically. And like now here we are, right? Like what? Two two years into the, what? Is it two? Yeah. Two years into the hiking cycle that we're talking about the possibility of no cuts this year. And I, I I mean I feel like this has got to be one of his larger fears.
1: Well, Keith's really Keith's point is, I think, is worth reiterating because the Canada Bank of Canada is not in a vacuum. And I think it's it's because we're in a global system, because they're our largest trading partner, because the Canadian dollar is key to, you know, how much. I mean, remember, we import our net imports of goods. Like we all, sorry, let's put it the other way around. We have a huge trade surplus in energy and all basically all other goods basically we have a huge net deficit, which means um, and obviously goods are a large part of your basket, and they're affected by the price of the dollar, and there's been a rebound in U.S. inflation. And we wrote this week that we might actually see inflation come go much higher because several different factors. Rich. But if, if yeah, sorry, i was just going to say if, if the Fed doesn't cut, then I don't think again, it just puts strain and constrains the, the Bank of Canada. Sorry, Steve, go ahead. No,
0: I, I want to pull on that thread, um, which is you know, the U.S. data coming in strong. I, I I do look at like U.S. financial markets and think, man, like with the S&P 500, where it's at today, uh, you know, we've got Bitcoin. Uh, I'm yeah. sure the Fed's not really focused on Bitcoin, but it has to be an element of of financial um, conditions. They're definitely easier than they were six months ago. Uh, Bitcoin, which, you know, people have bugged us. No, not talking. It did hit an all time high in Canadian dollars. Not <laughs> not not in U.S., but it did hit an all-time high in Canadian dollars, um, so there, there's that. But you know, you look at U.S. Uh, data today. Uh, the January PCE core inflation, two point eight percent. Any takeaways on that, Rich? I mean, that seems yeah. like it's, it's just... yeah. So
1: we always talk about CPI, but actually, the U.S. Federal Reserve technically targets PCE or core PCE, which excludes food and energy. Um, you know, in this release, there's obviously, you can just Google it. There's all kinds of shit. Um, the the, the takeaway for me is that obviously the headline numbers are coming down. There's less inflation than there was six months ago or a year ago. I think that it did. I mean, it technically went up month on month, you know, 0.4%. So that's, if you do an annualized number, do 0.4 times 12, that's much higher than target. So that must be freaking them out a little bit, but the real takeaway for me, Personally, from this particular release, was how strong the personal income grew month over month. And that was 1%. And that's what people don't sort of get. It's like the, and that's in current dollars where you're having real wage growth in the US go really strong. Productivity is really, is actually rebounded. Um, you know, you, you have a situation where, um, you know, because they didn't, um because of population growth again i know it's on and on we talk about it but it's a key key factor they have a much much tighter labor market wage growth is stronger they have those job openings to unemployed is still hugely dislocated and the, the U.S. economy just rolls rolls, around, rolls along. Um,
0: and how much do you look at, like, again, I think, you know, you're Amer- Canadians obviously drive most of their, their wealth off of Canadian house prices. But, yeah. you know, as an, as an American, you're looking at the S&P and you're saying, hey, my portfolio looks great. Uh, you know, stock market's ripping. Uh, I feel wealthier. Yeah, I well, it's not good. just that.
1: It's housing, house prices too. I mean, consumer confidence is snapping back. I mean, for all the doom and gloom that you might read on certain news wires and whatever, I mean, how, you know, if you were to take a look at all the things that you would, how a consumer might rate his economic reality in America, certainly, you know, house prices are up, wages are up, uh, unemployment's down, um, you know, just certain jobs in key sectors are also doing really well, construction, manufacturing, um, you know, naturally, there's huge inequalities in America, you know, like, you know, a vast majority of, of the stocks are owned by a very, very small amount of people. But the, from the other side, then you have loads of people own homes, you know, 60, 70 percent of their pe- people in America own homes. They're on fixed rate mortgages with 30 year fixed rates. So they're not impacted by the higher interest rates. Um, there are some downsides like disc- um, delinquency ratios keep climbing up. People aren't able to sort of buy cars because they're. Interest rates are too high. Car prices are falling. So there's some weaknesses for sure on the edges. But Steve, I don't know. On the whole, it's just it's going to be an interesting summer.
0: And hey, Keith, how are you still looking at this from like uh you know markets perspective? Because right now it kind of feels like kind of like a little bit in this like Goldilocks where it's like oh you know 500 basis points of rate increases doesn't seem to matter. Stock markets high you know, crypto's ripping again. You kind of have this like speculative fever that is is developing in in markets. Uh, You know, you've got, um, you know, what's happening in um, credit spreads as well are really tightening up. Uh, So seemingly the market feels like there's no recession now and things are just going to keep going on. And there's the, the people
2: are throwing risk out the window. Yeah, it's like the honey badger marketing economy remember the honey badger commercial from years ago with the meme what meme decade was this <laughs> Eight, 1840s yeah. you guys don't know that one people listening they knew that one you know honey badger doesn't care you know all that. who was it trying to kill the honey badger i think it was everything uh anyway <laughs> somebody listening will get it you'll go yes yeah you it, get that it, one it, listener that's uh same age as you yeah, you guys remember it—it it is the leap year. So I'll do this again four years from now. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's always a complicated economy for the Americans. So you're always able to find something very positive or very negative, you know, to support whatever your view is, or your narrative. But what's happening is that the economy, it's, you know, it, it's, it's still good, right? There's lots of reasons to say, hey, it's not as good as what it is, but it is okay. So good. A lot of cash flows continue to come in because layoffs are not really happening in the US. You know, you people still are in automatic savings plans at works, you know, that's going into defined benefit benefit pension plans, DC plans and stuff, which just automatically buys the market. I think a lot of people are familiar, I think they're calling it the, the magnificent seven, you know, this the seven yep. mag seven, baby the, Nvidia related, you know, kind of companies. That's there. Um, but you have all that happening. And at the same time, as I think you said, Steve, like everything is sort of priced to perfection now, especially credit markets and credit spreads. I know the stock market's important because that's what people look at; people can relate to it because they know the name of companies. But it's really the bond market and credit markets they need to look at. And there are clearly cracks happening in in that world. I think we talked about the commercial real estate market the last couple of weeks. Hey, on
0: the commercial real estate front, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, you had the uh, Canada Pension Plan. I don't know if you saw that news, but the Canada Pension Plan—they uh, dumped their stake in uh, the New York City commercial real estate project for just one dollar. Um, so they they sold their their huge investment. I was making the, the news headlines, but um, there you go.
2: It's kind of, yeah, I mean so so that people understand the thing—they sold it for a buck. It also means that the counterparty is uh is taken on the debt. That the pension plan was exposed to it as well. Uh, Who's the other side? I I saw it. I don't remember the name. Um, But they're all so for. If there's a, if there's a seller in a market, you know, by default there's a buyer as well, right? That's just the way it always works out. But um, I think Brookfield sold some property recently as well, and the buyer of their piece was the same buyer. just purchased this piece in New York as well, you know, sort of interesting. But back to the private credit story, you know, that I think that we've referenced this a couple of times now, you know, for, you know, kind of similar with the whole crypto world, you know, now ETFs are created. So there's blows coming into that market to to drive it higher. The big fund manufacturers are now offering private credit mutual funds and ETFs so they're trying to get involved in that space now as well and the problem with you know private equity and private credit is that it's not a liquid market so if if you if there's no liquidity you sort of price it whatever you feel the price should be and so for that reason you know there was an article that I think I shared with you guys this week is talking about uh you know the, the discrepancy in how some Pension plans are pricing the exact same piece of private credit compared to another pension fund. So to give an example, uh, this one piece of, uh, of a bond, uh, I won't go through the name of it, but the lowest price that that's marked at from one pension fund is at 50 cents on the dollar. Yet there's another fund out there, they have it priced at 85 cents on the dollar. So I just share that because, you know, talked about, you know, hey, is this a perfect market and the economy we're in right now? The moment that big players need liquidity in the bond market, and especially in this private credit market that that we're now seeing new products created, there is no liquidity. And, And that's what will initiate the next financial crisis we see. And then credit spreads flow higher and things like that. You know, the whole thing talked about, you know, you want to buy low and sell high. I think people agree this is probably a high point right now. And that when we do see a low point, you know, that's when people are selling. You know, it's just, it's just the nature Rich, involved. Rich, do,
0: you, do you disagree there?
1: I mean, I, I mean, the, the private credit piece. Yeah. The fact that it's not marked to market, I think is fascinating. Um, It means that there's a lot of <laughs> smelly investments out there that don't really see the light of day until it's way too late. Um On the Corporate bond piece, I think it's a bit different. Um, yes, spreads are super tight, but issuance has been very, very low. Um, a lot of these companies refinanced when interest rates were super, super low, so they're not really affected by uh, the higher rates. Um, and the issuance, the issuance wall hasn't come yet. It's going to be in 2025. Um, the other thing I think we've always forget is nominal GDP. Uh, not to get too technical, is is a hell of a drug. Um, you just have. Nominal GDP, sort of, um, it, 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 it can allow you protect, to, to protect margins. It allows you to basically um, to, um, to pay off debts. Um, and it allows you to paper over a lot of difficulties a company may or may not have. And that's what we've seen in the U.S. We've said nominal GDP growth of 6 and 7%. Um, whereas, you know, the previous couple of years before COVID, it was 4s and 5s. And that doesn't sound like a lot big difference. it's a huge, it's a huge difference. Um, And, 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 and and so for me, it's a, it's cushioned a lot of these corporations that otherwise would be in trouble.
0: What about the perspective of like markets? I'm just looking at this from like our our listener here. That's tuning in and saying, okay, you know, we, we've been talking about rates going up. There's, there there should be some more wobbles. There should be, there, there feels like there's still like a lot of risk out there, but markets certainly aren't pricing. Like there's really any risk. And so, I guess as our listener, my, my question is, they're probably confused in terms of allocating capital. You know, is this the time to 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 push, to push the envelope and say, hey, you know what, bull market, baby? Just push the envelope, or or is this is this he, you know, take some profits and live to fight another day and 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 wait for this all to shake out? I mean, you see, Some of these, I always look at, you know, it's interesting seeing some of the big exact CEOs, right? I think you had Jeff Bezos recently, Jamie Dimon at uh, JP Morgan there, you know, selling uh, huge chunks of their, their stock portfolio and their companies, which, you know, from a historical perspective on the timing of that, uh, usually marks,
2: they usually see what's on the wall. It doesn't have to be as like this binary outcome, you know, boom or bust. Instead, you know, to what we do, we always have natural hedges built into our strategies. So you're going to participate in growth, but it's not going to be at the same speed as what the market is moving in. But if we do hit a speed bump, I mean, we're, we're protected. So I think anyone right now, if you've been, you know, you're pedal to the metal and you're flying and you're not wearing your seatbelt then you know, you hit a tree, then you know what? You weren't wearing a seatbelt. Um, I mean, again, just because things are are stretched and priced to perfection, it it doesn't have to be this crash experience. Let me talk about central bank policy, right? Like volatility, you know, and instead maybe we can go six months or 12 months with, you know, plus and 5% volatility in the stock market. And I bet you that will feel like death for a lot of people, (laughs) right? You know, you're going up and down like that for, for a long period of time. I just think, you know, with most investors and, you know, don't take it the wrong way, but most unsophisticated investors, it's always all or none, right? They're getting in and then getting out, all that stuff. And instead, just recognize where the risks are, have some protection built in. And, you know, you're always going to sleep well. And, you know, again, like you don't always have to be driving at 60 miles an hour. It'll be 80 for you, Rich, because you're faster than me. I'm an older guy. But again, you know, you have to, just be careful on, on what, what you're doing. Um yeah, so Makes I have a sense.
1: different oh so I have a different I oh, mean, yeah, I agree with Keith hundred percent. I just have a different sort of angle, and I think it's important maybe that not a, I realize not everybody knows who the Magnificent Seven are. And the reason I bring that up, Steve, is because the pricing signal I think is a bit uh it's misleading. So yes, the S P five hundred is back at fifty one hundred or five thousand. Uh that, you know, egg on my face, a year ago, I was way too bearish. But be that as it may, the MAG-7 is um, Tesla, Meta, Amazon, Alphabet, NVIDIA, Apple, and Microsoft. And I think what's important to know is the concentration is at basically an all-time high. So if you look at those like five or 10 stocks relative to the rest of the economy, I think the last time we were this concentrated, it was 2001. And before that, it was in the 1920s. I'll try to find the chart and share it. And that concentration tells you that, you know, is not necessarily healthy. So I think that's why it's tricky to sort of be, um, you know, super, super bullish equity and risk when you have such high concentration in just a few few names.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I think that's a fair place to end it. Um, as always, we're uh, watching very, very closely. We have uh, our buddy Tiff Macklem on deck next week, so we'll see what kind of commentary we get from him. Uh, as always, guys, we appreciate your support, and we'll see you next week.